0: Good evening, thank you everyone for coming back and being with us uh, tonight, thank you all who participated in our service, thank you Jim, a very familiar tune with uh, different words from which many uh, have recognized, comes from Psalm 3 and uh, Isaiah, so I appreciated that very much. Tonight we continue on with a study of the book of Matthew, looking at parables that speak of the Lord's return. Many of these parables are talking about the delay, and they speak in terms of the unexpectedness because of delay, that people become lethargic or apathetic and uh, disbelieving because of the delay in the Lord's return. This parable also speaks about the long time of it being before the Lord returns, but it speaks of it with a different nuance. And let me just, before I forget, have two brief announcements. There are two meetings after church, both of them very short, one for the Christian Ed Committee, that's going to be downstairs in the conference room, and I need to meet with the Board of Elders uh, immediately after. If we get up here real fast, we can do this in less than five minutes, okay? But I, I need to get everybody together very, very briefly, and we'll do that right after the evening service. Okay. Turn with me, uh, well, um, if you're in your Bibles if you'd like, or you can just listen. Uh, you do have a handout, but I want to begin by reading the parable to you in its entirety. It's a familiar parable, but nonetheless, uh, let us... Read it so that we get the background. Matthew chapter 25, reading at verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He would receive the five talents, went at once, and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he had the two talents made two talents more. But he would receive the one talent, went and dug in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master." And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be hard, man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you did gathered, uh, scattered no seed. So I was afraid. More given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here is an introduction to rightly understand this particular parable. One must start at the end and work backwards. As we think about these parables, oftentimes they have much in common. And yet there are specific nuances of the parables that make them distinct. And it's those nuances that we must look at in order to try to understand the purpose of the particular parable that's before us. For they all teach primarily the same thing, but they, as I say, give us nuances, shades of meaning, uh, bring to light certain aspects that otherwise we may not uh, contemplate. So it's important to understand that the worthless or useless servant is lost, Matthew 25, verse 30 and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So as whatever way in which we interpret this parable, whatever we do with it, we need to understand that the servant who has one talent is lost. Okay, now that brings some interesting uh, factors to play as we look at this parable. With that in mind, we begin at the beginning. The Lord's return is likened unto a man who is going on a long trip. Nothing unusual about that, for it'll be like a man going on a journey. The Lord has people over His property that are both regenerate and unregenerate. We get that from verse uh, four, uh, We get that from verse thirty that the one will be cast into outer darkness. So he called his servants and entrusted them as property. So these servants include the regenerate and the unregenerate. The Lord entrusts his servants with various amounts of money or responsibility. Matthew 25, verse 15. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. To each according to his ability, then he went away. Now a quotation from N.T. Wright. A talent, by the way, was a unit of money worth roughly what a laborer could earn in 15 years. Our modern word talent, in the sense of the gifts or skills that an individual possesses, is derived from this, precisely because of this parable. In what sense had they been given something that corresponds to the gift of the talent? So this parable originally is speaking about Money. But our English word talent actually arrives from this same word and it's expanded into much more than just money. Uh, We, in our nomenclature, think of talent more in terms of abilities, skills, um, gifts. Uh, So it is that which uniquely sets us apart where God has endowed us with. Abilities. What we want to emphasize early on, because you don't get to till, till the end of the parable, is that all of mankind is endowed with God, with abilities, with talents, with gifts, if you will. Now, when we talk about spiritual gifts, okay, these are gifts of the Spirit, and we usually limit those to uh, believers, but when we think about talents in the broad sense of the word, uh, it's not only Christians that can sing. It's not only Christians that have musical ability, play the piano, and likewise. There are tremendous ab- abilities. It's not just the Christians that are going to win all the Olympic events. Non-Christians can run fast, jump high. There are non-Christians that have tremendous mental acumen, they can be incredibly brilliant and smart. Okay? You don't have to be a Christian to be a world-class chess player. The point is that, that God, in his goodness, gives abilities unto men. And what is unique about this parable is that all mankind is responsible before God for the abilities or the talents that they possess. God never intended those talents or those abilities to be used apart from his kingdom's purposes and work. There needs to be a recognition on part of all mankind that their God reigns in heaven and they have a responsibility before him to use what he has given to them to his honor and glory. So whatever innate abilities that we are born with, whether we be regenerate or unregenerate, those innate abilities come from God. That's what is unique about this particular parable. The servants are diverse in the way that they handle their stewardship. Two of the servants invest the Lord's money. He would receive the five talents when at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents, and made two talents more. One servant hides the Lord's money, but he would receive the one talent, went and dug in the ground, and hid his master's money. The Lord returns, and has the servants give an accounting of what they did with what was entrusted to them. Matthew 25, 19. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. They are, there are striking similarities in the accounting of the first two servants. Matthew 25:20 20 and Matthew 25:22. And who received the five talents came forward, bring the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And he would, the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here I have made two talents more the accounting is going to be identical. Both servants, that is, those with the five talents and those with the two talents, are commended. Both servants hear the words, Well done, verse 21 and verse 23. Both servants are described as good, verse 21, verse 23. Now this word good has a range of meaning that is akin to the range of meaning that the English word good has. Good can be in many used in many different ways. Okay? We can talk about a good boy. That would be one that's obedient, uh, that has a moral and ethical uh, aspect to it. We can talk about a good car, meaning that it's reliable, meaning that it starts when you want to start and... Uh, takes you where you want to go. In that sense, it's useful. Okay, So a good car is a, a useful car. Okay, A good book might be one that's enjoyable, uh, one that brings pleasure, uh, one that we delight in. That same range of meaning is used for the word good. I would submit to you that the primary usage of this in the particular verse before us is that they are useful for the kingdom's sake, for it stands in contrast to the third servant who is wicked or useless okay so they are good in the sense that they are profitable for the kingdom's work they advance the kingdom they have taken with what god has entrusted to them and they have developed it they have used it okay so if i may before i get to the ultimate application here one of the things we learn is those talents, those gifts, those abilities that God has given to us, we have the responsibility of honing. We have the responsibility of developing. We have the responsibility of maturing. We are to take those innate abilities that God has given to us and improve upon them. Okay? So if we sing, we try to become better singers. We might take voice lessons. We might Practice. Okay, if, if we have musical abilities, then we're going to take the, the proper lessons, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If, if we have a good academic mind, uh, we're going to give ourselves to education and to study and to develop those mental acumen and abilities and traits. Whatever it is, if we have an athletic prowess, then we're going to try to train and we're going to try to improve upon. We see ourselves as being a stewardship And what God has given to us, we have the responsibility of to develop. But not just for selfish glory and ambition. Not just so that we get richer. Not just so that we get accolades. Not just so that we are praised, but that we are advancing the kingdom. That we are bringing glory to the Father. That we are recognizing, submitting to, and rejoicing in the gift that originally was given to us. That no matter how hard you work, if you can't carry a tune, voice lessons aren't going to help you. Okay? If if you don't have certain innate abilities, you can work as hard as you want, and you're not going to be an Olympic athlete. Uh, Those initial talents... And abilities come from God, and they need to be recognized as such. And glory is given to him when we realize that these things are, in fact, given to us. But the development of them is our responsibility. So, both servants are described as faithful. Both servants are told, I will set you over much meaning that they're going to have even greater responsibility in the kingdom to come. Uh, There are other parables that emphasize that more, so I'm just going to kind of let that go at this point. Uh, It's said matter-of-factly, but the point is that they are going to be rewarded, if you will. Uh, They will be given even much more than what they presently have. Both servants are told to enter into the joy of the Lord. Verse 21, verse 23. Enter into the joy... Of your master, That genitive, the joy of your master, could mean the joy which your master gives, or it could mean to enter into joy with your master, uh, that you share in the joy that is his. Either way, both are true. Uh, we will enter into a joy that comes from him, and we will enter into a joy that uh, he has. He delights when we are faithful to him. He delights when we use that which has been given to us uh, and uh, develop it. And that is true of all of our spiritual gifts. They need to be developed. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy and says to him concerning preaching, he says, stir up the gift that is in you. Uh, that aspect, it's a beautiful picture. It's of a, of a, a fire, And uh, a fire can die down. And uh, it can get to a place where they are just embers. And what you need to do is stir up that fire so that the flames glow once again. Paul says to Timothy, stir up that fire. Develop within you that gift that God has given to you. The third servant, which we're going to focus on tonight, receives an opposite appraisal. The third servant speaks before the master does and speaks in unflattering terms what is not unique to the three servants is that he speaks before the master does but it's the way in which he comes he comes they come bringing their extra talents he comes and before he does he speaks of the master in unflattering terms Matthew 25:24 he also would received the one talents came forward saying His view of the master is that he, that is the master, is harsh, merciless, and cruel. He says, I knew you to be a hard man. A hard man. You are merciless. You are harsh. You are cruel. That is the wicked servant's estimation of who God is. And it speaks to the estimation of of the unbelieving world as to who God is. Now why does this servant refer to God in that way? Notice, he sees the master as taking what does not belong to him. Matthew 25, 24. Master, I know you to be a hard man. Now this, reaping what you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. You are harsh, you are cruel, you are merciless. You take what does not belong to you. You take what you did not sow. You reap what you did not scatter. That is the unbelieving world's view of God. God takes what does not belong to him. This is my life. This is my body. Who is anyone to tell me what to do with my body? Who is anyone to tell me what to do with my life? Isn't that the whole abortion debate? This is my body, and I can do with it what I want. This is my money. I can do with my money what I want. This is my talent. I can do with my talent what I want. And who is anyone to tell me what to do? And who is God to tell me what to do with my talent, with my money, with my abilities? I had an interesting discussion with one of the other pastors at, at uh, Pinebrook this week. Uh, we were just sitting there, and kind of minding my own business. And, and uh, he kind of said to me out of the blue, he said, uh, do you pass an offering plate in your worship service or do you have a box at the back? And I said, well, we pass the offering plate during the service. And he said, well, we have a box in the back. I said, okay. And then he went on to say, because, he said, I don't think there should be any pressure put upon visitors to give. God doesn't want their money. God wants their heart. And so we shouldn't be putting before them any temptation to give. And I said, well, that's kind of interesting. Except, uh, that's not my view of tithes and offerings. I don't think they're giving to a church. I don't think they're, they're giving just to promote a, uh, a program. I said, uh, we recognize that what has been given to us has been given by God. And I said, if there's a non-believer sitting in the congregation, what has been given to them has been given by God. They still have a responsibility to recognize God's ownership. And really, salvation starts with that understanding that God has created me. He is my heavenly father, in the sense that he's the father of all mankind, that he created all mankind. Every single human being is going to stand before God and give an account of their life, of what they have done with what God has has entrusted to them. That's why they give an account. Because it is God who's the giver and sustainer of all life. Not just the life of the believer, but every human being that comes into this world, comes into this world by the authority, by the power of God. Every single human being who is able to take a breath does so by the sustaining grace and power of God. In him we live and move and have our being. What is at the core of this parable is this third servant, that their view of God is that you take what doesn't belong to you. How dare you? You are merciless. You are cruel. You are harsh. That is, unfortunately, the unbeliever's view of God. And then he says this. He sees himself as preserving what belongs to the master. Matthew 25, 25. So I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. Here, you have what belongs you to you. You ought to be happy. You ought to be satisfied. You ought to be delighted because you got what belongs to you. Why would you expect any more than what belongs to you? The master condemns the third servant in ways directly opposite of the condemnation of the first two servants. He refers to the servant as wicked As opposed to good. Verse 26. You wicked servant. Uh, He refers to the servant as slothful. As opposed to faithful. Some translations use the word lazy. He takes from the servant. As opposed to setting him over much. So take the talent from him. And give it to him who has the ten talents. And he is cast into outer darkness. As opposed to entering into the joy of the Lord. And cast the worthless servant. Into the outer darkness in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So lessons from this parable. First. The servants of the master. Are the people of this world. God's kingdom. Is. Is over all. There are those that recognize his kingdom. There are those that reject his kingdom. But nonetheless, he is Lord over all. Some people recognize his lordship. That's what we do when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We don't make him our Lord, we recognize him as what he is. He is Lord. The non-believers, he is Lord over them, too. But they reject that. They rebel against that. And so they fail to serve him or desire to serve him and see him as harsh, cruel, merciless. Uh, It's amazing how people who don't believe in God yet blame God for things that go wrong. They aren't going to give God thanks when a baby is born healthy, but they may curse God when a baby is born with a defect. They may not think of God's goodness when they are given a job, but they may take God's name in vain when they lose a job, and they blame God. Um, It's one of those oddities in life. Number two, All the people of this world have been endowed with talents, abilities, and opportunities that are to be used to further God's kingdom. All peoples are descendants of Adam and Eve. All peoples have been created in his image. All peoples have been endowed with abilities that are to be used to bring honor and glory to God. But there's a whole host of non-believers who take the God-given abilities, talents, and opportunities not to glorify God, but to glorify self. And feel like God is entering into domains that don't belong to him when he puts any claim on their life responsibility. And if we aren't careful and we can actually begin to view life that way too. As though non-believers don't have responsibilities. And though those abilities or talents don't come from God. But they do. And they are responsible. Okay. So, uh, you know, we're into this Olympic season. There will be Olympic athletes that will recognize and give God glory for the talents they've given. Have they worked hard? Sure. Have they developed? Yes. They have done what they should. Others will have worked hard too. They will develop, but in no sense, to further the kingdom. Not to bring glory to themselves, but to bring, excuse me, not to bring glory to God, but to glory to themselves. Number three, the wicked people of this world have a skewed understanding of God. They view him as harsh, demanding, and seeking to exercise authority over that which does not belong to him. So our world says you can have your faith in private as long as it doesn't enter into the public setting, as long as it doesn't impinge upon my freedoms and my rights. As long as I can live my life the way I want, that's fine. But if you're going to start talking about duties and responsibilities, if you're going to put an offering plate before me... (laughs) And say that I have a responsibility with my monies to use them in any way to further God's kingdom or purposes. I want nothing to do with that. We've got to maintain. We've got to help the unbeliever realize that they have been blessed by God. And they have a responsibility before God to use their lives for his honor and his glory. How much more, of course, do we Have that responsibility. Five. On the other hand, there are good servants. Who truly belong to God. Those good servants are endowed with differing gifts and abilities. Um, Some have five talents. Some have two. Some have ten. Some have twenty. The issue is not comparing ourselves. And the talents that we possess. That is the sovereign work of God. He gave the five talents. He gave the two talents. However, these good servants may seek to enlarge upon these gifts, put them to good use for the kingdom of God, all with the same diligence. And they all will receive the same reward. If they do seek to use their gifts with due diligence and seek to further the kingdom of God, they will all be rewarded in a similar manner. We are not rewarded on the outcome of our service. We are rewarded for faithfulness. In service, we are not responsible to take uh, a two talent and turn it into a seven talent. Uh, We are just required to develop, use, invest the talents that we have, the abilities, whatever they are, no matter how great they are or no matter how meager they are, we ought to be using them. For the honor and glory of God. That is why. In the sovereignty of God. What God requires us to give to him. Is a tenth. A tenth. A tithe. That's what a tithe is. A tithe is a tenth. God expects a tenth. Of the monies that he has given to us. No more from the rich. No less from the poor. 10%. In the Old Testament, well, I won't get into that. I won't go down that that road. But my point is, we all have the same responsibility to use what we have to the honor and glory of God. 10. God will be pleased with them and they will be found useful for the kingdom of God. If we to seek to develop our gifts and our abilities to his honor and glory. He is pleased and he will use it. He will use it. Number 11, the wicked of this world are in fact wicked in not recognizing that all belongs to God and fail to rejoice in and expand his kingdom. What is the great wickedness of wickedness? What is is the great evil? We have said that righteousness is manifest, and you ought to be able to say this in your sleep by now, that, that what God requires us is to love God with all our heart and our soul and all our mind. You know what real wickedness is? It's a failure to love God with all our heart and our soul and all our mind. It's, it's a failure to respond to the goodness of God. The wickedness is the view that this man has of God. You are harsh, you are cruel, you take what doesn't belong to you. He is kind. He is merciful. And he gives to us abundantly and freely of his grace. What an antithetical, antithetical view of God. Number 12. God will be displeased with the wicked, and they will suffer great anguish. That is the parable of the talents. What is unique is that he's looking at servants in the broadest sense of that word, all mankind are responsible to serve the true and living God. Some will accept that responsibilities, others will reject it. The ones that accept it will be rewarded. those that reject it will suffer anguish for all eternity. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace. Help us to acknowledge your lordship, your mastery over all aspects of our life and being. Help us to remember whatever talents or abilities that we may possess, they are ultimately a gift of you. Help us to be thankful. Help us to see Whatever abilities, talents, gifts that we possess. Whatever ways of usefulness in which we are able to earn monies, earn a living, bring praise or glory. Lord, help us to use it to just not serve ourselves or glorify ourselves, but to glorify you. Help us to be thinking of how we can expand the kingdom. How we can better glorify you. How we can raise up your name. How we can magnify who you are. And may it begin with just this certain recognition that all I have belongs to you. You have given me everything that I possess. I am a steward. There is nothing over which we can really say, God, that doesn't belong to you. God, you can't take that. Lord, you are wrong if you are going to require that of me. May we recognize these are not our bodies. These are not our gifts. This is not my life to do whatever I want. This is not my body. The baby inside me is not just my own production that I can decide to live or to die, but to, oh Lord, may we recognize your authority over all things, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed. If I can meet with the elders up here real quick, we can get this done real fast. So, elders, if you just come up real fast, we can be done.